Good evening and welcome to Gay Card, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome to Geek Hard, where we're taking care of business and working overtime. I'm your host, Andrew Young, and with me, as always, is Mr. Green. Yes, I am. Yes. Thank you for identifying yourself. That's it. I am always here. Yes. Oh, God. I hope that's not true. That would suck. And then I find out, yes, for every moment in your life, Andrew, he was there. <laughs> I've always been there. Oh, dear God. Always. Well, with that creepy thought, let's talk about tonight's show. He's definitely going to be here with me for the next 60 minutes. And we've got a great show coming your way. At the end of the program, you hear our interview with character actor Derek Johns. Uh, who stars in two movies that uh, debuted at the Fantasia Film Fest, We Are Zombies and The Sacrifice Game. He's also probably best known to you folks out there as Love Sausage on The Boys. And we're going to be talking with him about all that and more. We had a great conversation with him a number of weeks ago. We're going to play it for you right here tonight. We've also got a movie review coming your way. From the D, still technically, I guess it was the DCEU when this was put together. And that yeah, is like technically, technically, the Blue Beetle. We'll be talking about Blue Beetle here tonight. And in mere minutes, we're going to be talking with a comic writer who's also a longtime friend of the show and a, uh, a fellow ex Oshawa person. So I feel a kinship. Mr. Green, you're still in there. Someday we'll get you out of there. <laughs> Someday you'll be free of the schwa. But, uh, yeah, Ed Brisson. We're going to be talking with Ed Brisson tonight about the new Alpha Flight series that's coming out at Marvel right now as part of the Fall of X event, the X-Men event. And uh, he's also got some other comics as well. We'll be talking about all that and more. But right now we're going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to good old Ed Brisson right here. Key card, we got a radio one on one. Hey, everybody, Jimmy the Short Order Cook here asking you what's better than listening to Key Card? Answer, listen to Geek Hard while wearing a Geek Hard t-shirt. And there's a place you can get them at tpublic.com slash user slash Geek Hard. We got a bunch of great shirts there. We got Geek Hard shirts. We got a Mr. Green's Tasty Meat shirt. Hell, we got a Back Issue Bloodbath shirt. For all your geek needs with your geek merch, you want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash Geek Hard. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you. Welcome back to Key Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card, friends. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. It's a fabulous Friday night. we got a great show coming your way. In just a moment, we'll be talking with comic writer Ed Brisson. Before we do that, I want to ask you guys a little favor. I don't ask favors often from you, but I want to ask everybody out there to do me a favor. The Geek Card YouTube channel, youtube.com slash geekhardshow has about 530 subscribers. I want to make it our goal that by the end of the year that we have a thousand subscribers, not a hard goal to get to folks. And all you got to do to help me out is just 
go over to youtube.com slash geek art show, click the old subscribe button, watch a few videos, maybe leave a comment. The subscribe and the watching, that's the real important part. The comment would be just, that would just make us feel good. If you could do that, youtube.com slash geek art show, we'll get to a thousand. Again, not a hard goal. I think we can all do it. Get to a thousand by the end of the year. Yeah, uh, guys, you really need to do this. Uh, Andrew has been on the edge of a cliff lately with how we've not been at a thousand and it would just be that much better for him to feel better about everything if we got to a thousand. Well, it would definitely help my living. It definitely would (laughs) because it would help with, say, I don't know, paying me. That would be good. So (laughs) hence the edge of a cliff. So everybody go there, subscribe, youtube.com slash geek card show, watch a few videos, maybe leave a comment, but definitely watch a few videos and you'll be helping us out. Now let's get into the show, folks. Great show tonight, and we're going to bring on our first guest. He is a longtime friend of Geek Card, and uh, he has written a number of great comics over the years, including some amazing crime stories. And right now, he's got a great kind of crime horror comic book out there, and he's also got a classic superhero comic as well. So he's touching all the bases. Welcome back to the program, Ed Brisson. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, so before we get into everything, uh, I just got to say, it's nice to have a Canadian writing Alpha Flight. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And even better that that Canadian's me. Yes. Well, I think definitely for you. I think that's... For me, for me specifically. Specifically, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, Alpha Flight's been brought back as part of the Fall of X event. It's a five-issue miniseries uh, dealing with, because I know that in the Fall of X, basically mutants have been outlawed from the U.S. and now from Canada as well, correct? Correct. That's uh, exactly what it is. Canada's teamed up with uh, sort of Orcus and, and side to side with the to side with the U.S. and uh, you know, given that um, half of Alpha Flight is uh, typically mutant and half of Alpha Flight is not, um, it's sort of created a schism uh, amongst the team. And uh, so we have the non-mutant side, which is joined up with Department H, and the rest of Canada, I guess, to boot mutants out of the country. And uh, obviously, the uh, mutant side of Alpha Flight is none too happy about that and is uh, pressing back against them, fighting against them, trying to uh, save mutant kind. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Ed, I, I was uh, a little, uh, I was a little surprised as I was reading it because I, I, you know, I'll admit I'm not uh, up to date on uh, everything in the X universe that's been going on. But coming into this and reading that uh, Canada has freewheeling decided to just, you know, get rid of mutants and, you know, I can understand America, you know, sure in the Marvel universe, that's just like a normal thing. That's just yeah, they've like, had a history of pulling it off a few yeah. times, and uh... yeah, that's that's a Tuesday. Yeah, right. You know, but, uh, you know, usually I would like to think that here in Canada, we're a little bit, uh, a little bit more sympathetic, a little bit nicer, but this is I, not so much uh, that Canada. So I, I think that, you know, we tend to be, I think we tend to think that we are, um, but I do, you know, you do definitely see that uh, trends in American politics definitely infiltrate, you know, uh, up here um, and in and, and, you know, you see it sort of infiltrating um, Canadian politics. You know, I, I'm I, I can't remember the Canadian politician was the head of the Conservative Party who, who straight up just tried to lift the make Canada great again. He did. It was like take back Canada. I think was the thing. Like, and it's they're just aping American politics. So you know, sort of my thought process of that is, you know, I think that we we always kind of almost. You know, if we're being real, I think Canadians a lot of times are like, we're better. We're better than America. We we do things better. We're more sympathetic. We we care more. And, you know, that's that's great to say, but you don't always see it carrying over into action, you know. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I kind of wanted to tackle it from that angle that, you know, American politics has seeped up here. And we've decided to sort of uh, go in lockstep with them and uh, 
and boot the mutants off, you know. And let's be real, mutants have caused a lot of problems. They've got their own planet now. You know, why don't they uh why don't they just go there? <laughs> not not saying I agree with it, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh my god. Yeah. A, again, you you're the unbiased writer. You're showing everything that's happening for the characters. You're not you're not pushing a political agenda. We know that. No, no. But you, you know, you want to you kind of want to understand why characters, where they come from, and why they're doing certain things. And uh, yeah, totally. And yeah, they're uh, the the Canadian government is definitely uh, kind of jumping on the bandwagon here, even with getting the box sentinels as well. It's like, it's one thing to say, like, we got Alpha Flight, they're going to police our country and try to find mutants. But now they're bringing in basically like shock troops with these box sentinels. Sure, yeah, like American shock troops. But once again, even in the book, the guy's like, we can do it better than them. You know, like, there's still <laughs> that sort of mindset where he's like, this is uh, this is how they're better, you know. They they don't cause as much property damage. They can just because like really, there's no reason Sentinels are as tall as an Empire State's building, right? Like that's that's not terribly effective uh, to my mind. And uh, so I, I like the idea that you know Robert uh, Roger Box Jr. Uh, you know takes this and 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 makes it more practical. And that's a very Canadian thing I think to do is to try and make something much more practical. Yeah, I was going to say, like, keep they, your buildings because that's yeah. the thing. The old Sentinels destroyed buildings. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about property damage. Canadians hate property damage. Let's face facts. You know, that's like, true. We've oh, we've seen God. enough damage over the past uh, couple of years with the forest fires that uh, you know it's uh, that that rings really really true uh, of late. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I gotta. I'm just curious, Ed, because like, you mentioned about like <clears throat> you know bringing uh, you know putting a lens on a on kind of what's happening in Canadian, real Canadian politics, but, you know, addressing some of that in this book as a comic book uh, writer, you know, and being involved in a creative realm, you know, as you know, over the past, I'd say decade or so, there has been a large contingent of people online who don't seem to enjoy this concept that comic books are commentary on the current state of affairs in the world. And, it's mind blowing to me because like, it's just a sheer lack of understanding of most superheroes that have ever been created. And I'm just wondering, like for you is, you know, like, do you ever think about that when you, when you're writing you just say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to make the best story that I want to write. And then like, let the critics be damned. Yeah, no, I don't really think about it. I think that sort of uh, argument that like, I hate politics and comics and here's the thing, I'm not, most of the comics I do, I'm not necessarily terribly political. And and I would say that Alpha Flight is only really kind of surfacely political. You know, there, there is some sort of commentary and stuff what's going on. But the idea of I don't like politics in my comics is such a bullshit idea. Uh, politics has been in your comics um, since, you know, since they launched. You know, the X-Men, mm. you know, were yeah. standing for the civil rights movement, etc. Um, you know, and what that that statement generally comes down to is I don't like the politics in the comics, not I don't like politics in comics. I, you know, and I think we're just at a, a at a point where any sort of political discussion is incredibly decisive, uh, divisive. Uh, and uh, I don't think that there's as much um, discussion, you know, as maybe there was in the past. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe back in the 60s, you know, there wasn't as much discussion either. Uh, I, I imagine there probably wasn't. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I I I don't let it. I don't let it affect me when I'm writing. I tend to think about the story that I want to tell. You know, when I'm working with an artist or editor, you know, we sit and discuss. You know, it's important. It's important to me that the the story I want to tell is the same story that you know the artist wants to tell, and that we're kind of in the on the same page. Um, and this sounds. You know, it, it's not that I don't care what the audience thinks. Obviously, I want them to read the book. But if okay. I'm only thinking about what the audience thinks, uh, it's just going to be pap. It's not going to be, you know, if I'm pandering to a, to an audience, it's not going to be good. So I just make sure that myself and the artists are satisfied and hope then that uh, the rest of the readers are going to enjoy it for the same reasons that we enjoy it. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we got an email in from Justin L. Of course, if you want to send an email in, it's geekhardshow at gmail.com. 
Justin now writes in to say, hey, geeks, is this the Ed Brisson of Ideas Don't Bleed? Uh, I was on a couple episodes of Ideas Don't Bleed, yes, uh, Matt uh, Matt Rosenberg's podcast. Yes, Matthew Rosenberg's podcast, yeah, which, uh, you know, once at one time, of course, you guys were part of the, the X-Men Brain Trust together sure. as well. Yeah. I don't know if you call us a brain <laughs> trust, but we were there. <laughs> you us... and matt and kelly you guys sure. did x-men books it was fun sure sure we were <laughs> we were at the wheel for a little while until they could you know wrestle it away from us sure, oh my god but uh so yeah but you, you brought up you brought up you and the artist of course the artist on this is uh scott Godlewski. um he has a very like classic kind of hero style to him so when you're when you're writing for him are you looking for telling him hey we're gonna put in some big action shots here and stuff like that yeah, I was really trying to push a lot of the, you know, of that skill set. Like I've been familiar with his work for about 10 years and, and incidentally had been trying to, uh, he doesn't know this. Yeah, I, maybe knows this now because I've talked about it in interviews, but I'd been trying to get him on an artist, uh, as an artist on a project previous to this, uh, that just didn't work out scheduling wise. Um, so when they wanted to bring him in, I was like, okay, this is great. You know, I want to work with this guy. And so I was very familiar with his art. And so, you know, when you work with an artist, you, you look at the kind of stuff they like to do, what they, they really excel at. And you like, you kind of lean into it, you know, and he does some incredible action stuff. Uh, we have some just incredible splash pages coming up in the next issue uh, that are just, you know, jaw dropping. He's incredible, incredibly easy to work with and an incredibly talented artist. So I'm just absolutely lucky. Well, there you we, go. That's yeah, I know for sure. I, I, you know, and Ed, I, I'm just curious about, uh, you know, also that, uh, you know, like, cause yeah, you've worked in the X universe before and, you know, like in working with mutants and, you know, telling big superhero kind of stories. Uh, is that something like, cause I know obviously some of your other work, which we're also going to talk about here tonight, um, isn't that you know it's more real world it's grounded you know it's 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 uh human centric what how do you balance that like do you prefer like to just flip flat flip back and forth and you know as as you know like whatever juices are kind of flowing for that story at that time you know or or do you have a, a a real preference that you like to stick into yeah i it's tough to be honest uh you know Superhero comics sort of dictate that we're going to do those sort of larger, you know, uh, global uh, stories, you know, these things that are going to impact everyone globally. Um, I really like if if I was just left alone and could do whatever I wanted and not had to worry about mortgage and all that sort of jazz, I would do a lot more like smaller, like character focused stories, you know, um, and I've pitched a few things like that that are very like, you know, they're they're kind of superhero. They feel superhero, but they're they're much more focused on the thing. And I, I think uh, Alpha Flight is one of these cases where I, I've managed to find this really kind of cool balance. There's a lot of really big action, but a lot of the um, there's a lot of like sort of emotional meat here that sort of uh, comes from uh, you know if you haven't. Uh, read the book yet maybe just plug your ears for a second it's not huge spoilers but uh you know there's the there's the character feedback who's an old alpha flight character from the 90s who hadn't been seen in 20 some odd years that we we brought into this first issue and you know he's just a dude who was trying to live his life he didn't want anything to do with this um and same with Arjan, who's a who's a character comes in later on who's from Gatineau. uh he's just a guy who just was trying to exist and and showing the impact, not necessarily showing the impact globally or, or on a national scale of what this looks like with Canada booting mutants out, but by picking these two mutants and really sort of focusing in on what their lives were like, what they're trying to fight to save, which isn't um, that they're trying to fight to save, you know, a burning orphanage or or whatever it is. They're just trying to fight to to keep their normalcy to just keep their life as it was uh you know they can be mutants and not have to and not want to go off and and fight galactus every five minutes or whatever it is uh and so i think that we've got a really cool balance going on and you'll see more of it going forward with some of the team dynamics as well that we have a lot of those really grounded moments those emotional moments i think that really anchor uh this series um 
you know, in amongst the big fireworks fight scenes and such. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got to say, uh, issue one, of course, came out this past week. And uh, where you left the first issue, that really intrigued me because I didn't I didn't see it coming. I was like, oh, OK, that's that's cool. This isn't the story that I thought it was going to be. It's going to be something different. So and when that happened, I was like, oh, because when the story was first, you know, put out there, like solicited for it and everything, I felt like, OK, we've seen this type of story in a lot of event book things over the past 15 years that, you know, and then, and I thought, okay, we're just going to get, we're going to get Ed's take on this with these characters. And then when I saw, I was like, oh no, it's going this way. I was like, okay, this sounds, this is more of a more dynamic story. So when you pitched the, uh, did you pitch the idea or were you brought Alpha Flight? So they asked me to work on Alpha Flight. I pitched them the ideas, uh, you know, I think, I can't remember if this was the first idea I had or if I'd had others, but uh, yeah. So they asked me if I wanted to do it and I, I you know, then so you just start you, pitching story ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So did you, when you pitched this idea, did you have that in mind that this is a story that people might see going one way and you're going to do something different I, with it? I think that's just like, you know, I find that I tend to do that a lot when I'm writing, you know, we'll talk about sins a little bit later on, Yeah. but I tend to like to be like, okay, I'm going to present a situation that you're sort of you're familiar with, you're comfortable with, and then I'm gonna punch you in the in the face uh, at the end of it and show you that it's actually not not what you think it is, right? I, I like taking sort of tropey uh, concepts and trying to then like you know tilt them on their head a little bit and 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 use that. There is a lot of um, mileage out of taking that, you know that uh, sort of comfortable place and then knocking someone right the hell out of it uh, and then taking the story in a direction they're not expecting. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, when we, I like, I, I know that you're a, a big horror fan and, and, and more modern horror, I've noticed doing this more and more where they'll kind of set up the story where you kind of think, Oh, I'm going to, we're watching a vampire movie. We're watching a zombie movie, you know, or serial killers or whatever. And then, you, you know, that first like 15, 20 minutes kind of sets up that universe, you know, kind of like what you're talking about here. And then, you know, not necessarily make a, a 90 degree turn, but kind of like uh, 10 degrees off off starboard, you know, and we're just going right. to, you know, and just change it and twist it just a little bit enough to kind of, you know, for those of us who have, you know, watched or read in this case, you know, like with Alpha Flight, uh, something slightly off uh, off of what we expected. And it becomes a lot more fun because you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if this is where it's exactly going to go anymore. Like, is, is who's going to live? Who's going to die? Who's going to be friends, not be friends? You know, all those things. I got to imagine that that as a writer getting those opportunities, you know, especially in a in a superhero world are not always as present as maybe, say, in something like Sins of Salt and Sea. Yeah, it all depends. You know, if you can find the right story, sometimes, you know, there's just like, with well, the superhero thing, you have like an agenda uh, to fill a thing that, you know, agenda is maybe not the right word, but like they have a, you know, it has to start somewhere and end somewhere. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're if you're a decent writer, you can usually sort of uh, pull that off, you know, and take it in the direction that people aren't expecting, you know, as long as editorial lets you get away with it. Right, right. Yeah, with, uh, of course, with Sins of the Salt and Sea, uh, when the the first when the first issue came out it was very much like that okay it's ed it's gonna be some crime action we're gonna yeah. get into this he, he does amazing crime books let's do it and then i was also surprised to find it's like oh okay it's it's taking us more to the horror element and i like i find it interesting that you've been wanting to write a story set off the, the coast of the salton sea and that kind of merged with your idea to write a story about a cult right yeah, it was uh, it was a weird sort of uh, thing where I had this idea about a cult. You know, me and another artist had uh, at one point been talking about doing um, a book about a cult, and uh, it just it never happened. You know, for whatever reason, and uh, I, you know, I think when I was telling him about it, I was like, I had the end bit first, so I can't tell you guys what the end yeah, bit was, of course, uh, but like. You know, I had the end bit. I'm like, what if this happens? And, and, and then it's this. And he was, I remember 
telling him and he was like oh fuck yeah like like <laughs> when you see the excitement on someone else's face you're like okay cool but like it just didn't it didn't gel right it, it wasn't working you know it was like everything i could come up with felt like some sort of riff on the wicker man or something like that which i didn't want this to be um and that's it's not necessarily the direction it's going and then I had this other heist thing that I was working on, and that was I wanted to put it around the Salton Sea. I just think Salton Sea is such a, a an interesting place and such a weird, uh, a sort of fucked up history that I wanted to sort of play around with that. Um, and then I I had a heist thing that was it was the same thing. It was like it was not gelling. It wasn't working in the way that I wanted it to work. And it was just I think I was going for a walk one day or something like that, and I I had the idea of merging them to the two ideas together and and these different beats you know uh sort of it starts out as the high story becomes this cult story uh and yeah it just it was like peanut butter and chocolate right when i when i came up with the when i realized that these two things went together and they went together quite well and it was like another thing where we sort of lead you down a path uh that you think is one thing and it's absolutely not that thing and and i think with sins something that's been interesting is that Almost every issue. I think we've got three issues out right now. Yeah. Yeah. So every issue, by the time it gets to the end, you like, you know, you know, you think you've got it figured out, and then it gets to the end, it does a little rug pull. And you get the second issue, you're like, okay, I think I get it figured out. And then in the end, you're like, nope, you don't. And, and same with a third, like we keep we keep trying to like sort of really uh keep readers on the toes and and you know surprise them and let them know that it's not really what they think it is going in and i don't think it's going where they think it's going um, yeah yeah well it's got yeah. it got it's got horrific elements but it also has kind of the pacing of like a a guy Ritchie film a guy Ritchie action film in the sense like i could see it i i felt like at some points it felt like uh wrath of man the the guy Ritchie film but with but with a much more higher stakes and uh yeah so like I know you've for years, you know you've you've. I know you keep track of the, all the films you watch in a year and stuff. You're a big yes. movie guy. Are there particular art tours that uh, influence how you approach crime and horror? So I don't think like for crime or film. There, you know, for film, I think it's a, like a lot of um, like I'm really big fan of a lot of the seventies um crime films so like dog day afternoon uh straight time is a film that i love that i don't think gets talked about nearly enough um you know obviously there's godfather there's the friends of eddie coyle um that whole era of, of film you know there's the, the all the italian cop and blue jean series films that i love as well and the um you know all the henry silva and um and uh I'm forgetting Django's real name, Franco, Franco Nero films, mm. uh, you know, Mirza Merli, all these guys. So I love all that, that sort of the Italian stuff and, and then North American, um, really sort of dark and, and it, it's like depressing. It's like, it's like working class <laughs> crime almost, all that sort of stuff. It's really kind of bleak. Um, and I love that kind of stuff, but I think more of my influence probably comes from novels. Uh, you know, Elmore Leonard is a massive, massive influence on me. Uh, Richard Stark, which is Donald Westlake, but yeah. really Donald Westlake only when he's writing is Richard Stark. It's like, it, it is my sweet spot. Yeah, the Parker stuff is just, it's yeah. amazing. Um, there's Jim Thompson, Charles Williford. Um, I know I'm forgetting about 10 authors, but, you know, that sort of era of stuff is is the stuff that really... Uh, really hits for me and I think it's like I come from a bit of a you know a blue collar background and that sort of crime tends to be that you know it's like it's working class crime almost and and that uh, that just really works for me um, yeah it's it's gritty it's messy it's unglamorous it's very yeah like, dudes just yeah. trying to get by yeah sure yeah. and there I think there's a lot of shine to like some newer crime films it's like it's a little bit too slick and and i like i like the stuff with a, a layer of filth on it i guess yeah no well honestly i'll tell you like as you said like you know merging the two ideas together being like you know chocolate and peanut butter coming together i i i can't i i can't agree more because as i was reading it and seeing 
like I was like, like Andrew indicated, I was like, oh, okay, we're crime story, you know, and then you get to issue two and things are changing. And I was like, okay, okay. And all I kept thinking was, this is exactly who Ed Brisson is. Uh-huh. Every, every time, every ever since we first met you and and we're reading your stuff early on, you know the crime thing makes total sense. But then you know, like uh, online, seeing that you you know how much you love like horror and and you know and things like that, like it just all comes together and it makes so so much perfect sense. This is like this this book really feels like I'm seeing inside of your head. I and yeah, it definitely it feels like I'm spilling my brains out on the page a lot. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm glad that sort of people react to that because really those are my two genres that I love more than just about anything. Uh, you know, like I grew up watching nothing but horror films, you know, from the time I was, I think about 10, 10 or 11. I so I had been watching horror films, going to my VHS into the video rental store once a week and doing these uh it was like five movies for five days on mondays and so i would always get 10 movies and watch them over the course of the week and would go you know when i lived in oshawa and then later Kelowna, i would go through the horror section just alphabetically indiscriminately oh wow just picking up you know (laughs) five movies alphabetically so i could make my way through the whole uh i saw a lot of garbage (laughs) doing that (laughs) but a, a lot of really you know really great stuff as well Ooh, yeah, man. no, no, for sure. That's that is one of the the uh, beautiful flaws of horror. The uh, is the uh, 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 gem to uh, shit ratio that exists. You know, it's yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a high shit ratio for sure. It's yeah. like <laughs> it's like one gem for every like thirty or forty piles it, of shit. Yeah, well, it's, they they pumped them out. That was nah. that's the thing. When you pump out that many movies, there's bound to be a lot of shit. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, oh but God. you but you still do it, man. Like you know, when you're when you're a horror fan, I think part of it is like that suffering, you know, and going through <laughs> all that suffering until you get until you get to your you know your Cronenbergs or whatever. You know, when you're younger and you it's your first Cronenberg film or or um, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a lot of suffering, I think. And I think it just makes when you discover a good one, it makes it that much more uh, joyous. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like yeah. I, I like I think like yourself, uh, I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to make a guess that you like me grew up on some full moon along the way. Yeah, yeah. I, so I watch a lot of full. I'm not a huge full moon fan, but I watch a shit ton of full moon. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, but they, they were just always there. Um, I think they had a really good marketing strategy, I guess, because, you know, you, Trancers and Dollman and all that sort of stuff was in every single video store. That and I loved how when the movie ended, if you were patient enough, you would stick around because they did the reverse thing where they put all the trailers at the end of the film. Yes. I loved that. That was always my. they put like 25 trailers, but there was like another hour. And they trailers. would also have the uh, behind the scenes yeah. stuff, yeah, which was always that was always great to watch. I loved watching, you know, all the you know Charles Band behind the scenes stuff. Uh, it was a lot of uh, that stuff was almost better than the films generally were. <laughs> they sometimes were. <laughs> oh man, sat through the movie to get to the good stuff. Hopefully, yeah. uh, we got an email in from Stevie who writes, "Kudos to Ed, good work." And then Steve goes on to say, forget Blue Beetle, a four rating, and finishes off by saying, I am going to check out the Geek Hard videos. Well, thank you, Steve. Of course, you can check them out as well at youtube.com slash Geek Hard Show. Again, subscribe, watch a couple of videos. You'd be really helping us out. Uh, Ed, I want to thank you for coming on the program tonight. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Really enjoying Sins of the Salton Sea yeah. and uh, excited to see where Alpha Flight goes, man. Well, hopefully, you guys dig it. All right. Yeah, no, All right, both, well, both books are amazing, bud. That's uh, awesome. kudos to you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. There you go. Have a great night. You too. Thanks, Ed. Bye. Bye. Okay, so we got some other emails in here, but of course, people. You can check out Alpha Flight number one. It's out right now at your local comic shop. And the first three issues of Sins of the Salton Sea are also available at your local comic shop wherever you buy comics. Uh, we got an email from Tate W. who says, Geeks, 
my new bowl. Mr. Green, check it out. It's from Tate W. I think you're going to dig his, his, uh, his new toilet. What? Did I, am I in the right box? Oh, there it is. Sorry. Screen didn't refresh. Okay, here we go. Oh, dude. There you go. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, uh, I fully endorse that. Say what you see. Say what you see. I, I see a toilet that is Darth Vader, and it is as awesome as it sounds. There you go. Like a piss on Vader every day. It'd be great. Oh, man. This deal is getting worse all the time. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be back with more of your emails and our review of Blue Beetle right here. Geek Card, Rad Radio 101. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. When we talk about comics old and new. Mostly old. But sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good. Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card, folks. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. In just a moment, we're going to be giving our review of Blue Beetle, which is now in theaters. Uh, but first, let's hear some of your reviews. Howard N. writes in, Hey, geeks. Just giving my opinion again. Blue Beetle sucks. Surrounded and Lopez ruined it. Has-beens. Hey to the old man. Oh, somebody, somebody talking about me? Yep, yep, they're talking about you, old man. As it should be, you know, Howard. You seem like a smart guy. Hey to you as well. Have a good one. Keep your stick on the ice. All right, well, thanks, old man. Uh, let's move on to our next email. Don S. writes in, Hey to Mr. Green and Andrew Young. We'll check out the YouTube channel. Thank you very much. YouTube.com slash Show. Blue Beetle. Another meanwhile back at the same shit. So there we go. So now let's find out what we think of Blue Beetle, directed by Angel Manuel Soto, written by Gareth Dunnard Alcurso, based on the DC comic character created by Keith Giffen, John Rogers, and Cully Hammer, produced by DC Entertainment, distributed by Warner Brothers. Here to read the synopsis is that man who just said hello back. The old man. Yeah, the old man right here. So, uh, an alien scarab chooses college graduate Jaime Reyes to be its symbolic ho- symbiotic host, bestowing the teenager with a suit of armor capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers, forever changing his destiny as he becomes the superhero Blue Beetle. It's just as simple as that, eh? You find yep. a you find a scarab, you become a hero. There that's usually how it works. Uh, it didn't happen that way for me, but that's a story for another time. Old man, out. And there he goes, the old man, a man of mystery. Uh, it's oh. like Hammy Hamster back there. They okay. <laughs> you don't remember Hammy Hamster? I remember Hammy Hamster, but I'm thinking, give the old man a little bit more credit than that. What is a story for another time? True, true. So, Mr. Green, you saw Blue Beetle. What are your thoughts? Um, okay, so Blue Beetle, this uh, version of Blue Beetle, this is uh, is this is Blue Beetle 3, right? I guess technically, right? Yeah, it is Blue Beetle 3 in comic world. In DC, you know, there's uh, the first guy, which I never remember. Uh, and then, of course, there's Ted Cord, who is Blue Beetle 2. 
and now we have uh, Jaime Reyes. And it's I remember Blue Beetle One wouldn't be uh, canon in DC because that was the Charleston character, right? So really, it's Blue Beetle Two. Yeah. So, anyways, continue. Yeah, it's a well. There, anyways, it's a convoluted history of a, of a sort. Regardless, it's not the like the Blue Beetle that most DC uh, uh, comics fans grew up with. You know, Ted Court. Right. You know, and that was like, you know, uh, in the 80s, especially Justice League International, Blue Beetle and Booster right, were like, yeah. you know, comedy gold. And um, but Jaime there, Reyes has been around for over a decade now. Yeah. Uh, came out uh, out of uh, Infinite Crisis. And it was a, a way to kind of bring a character back in. And what, as they were trying to at the time, as you remember, like they're just trying to reboot some characters, bring some new blood in like they do in comics a lot. This is a mm. cyclical uh, situation. And uh, they, they brought him in and I remember uh, checking it out at the time. And uh, you know, I really, I really dug the book. Uh, I didn't stick with it for a long term, but I, you know, but that's, I, there were so many books coming out at the time. Right. You know, Did I, you dig the movie? Movie. <laughs> yes. I dig it a lot. It was okay. good. I thought they made changes from the comics. He's no longer a high school student, I, which I understand they want to get away from Spider-Man because mm. uh, he's very Spider-Man-esque in the comics when he's first introduced. Right. You know, so I can understand that and uh, kind of this idea of where they might want to go with the character. But no, I, re I really enjoyed the film. I had a lot of fun with this film. It was, uh, yeah, it's for me right now, as far as superhero film uh, projects this year, it's this and Guardians, I think, are the two best ones that I can say that I've seen this year. Wow. Well, I will say Zolo uh, is, is very strong in his performance. And I feel like a number of the people in this are very strong in their performance. For me, though, the film suffers the same kind of look problem that Black Adam and the Flash movie had in the sense that there's a there's a cheap look to it. It feels mm. like that, like, I don't know, it just feels like a bit too like they could a better color correction maybe could fix this. I don't know, but it just it feels like the look of a TV movie that makes me mm. think back to like even like going back to like early 2000s type look of a superhero film. I just don't dig the look of these films and the beginning of the film. And for like, here's the thing. It needs a first act rewrite, not necessarily in its beats, but in the way it presents everything. Like mm. you can still do those scenes, but it's like, come on. The opening scene looks like it was ripped out of a B movie from the fifties. Like, like it really yes. is. Like you it, know, it, no, you're there not is wrong no on that. Realism to it. There's no. You do not connect with those characters at all. You just go, ooh, they're the brooding villains and the henchmen. Ooh, and it's like, ah, come on. You have somebody who's the caliber of Susan Sarandon, who I think can still act, doing classic mustache twiddling. So I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah. Um, and George Lopez's character, Uncle Rudy, needs to like cut him out of a third of the film. Like there's way too much focus on Uncle Rudy. There are parts where the Blue Beetle becomes the third supporting character in the movie because they're focused so much on Uncle Rudy and the family that we like they forgot about I, Blue Beetle. I didn't mind focusing on the family, but I will agree with you about George Lopez uh, being a little too much in it. But I also understand that in for some people, he's going to be the biggest draw in the film. Right. I get it. But like, but, come on. No. So and I like way too much screen time. They did. But I, and I will say this, uh, the third act, uncle Rudy, I liked way better than the first two acts, uncle Rudy. Right. But third act, uncle Rudy, while his character got better, the things they were having him do. No, he's still was yeah, like, that's bad writing. In my opinion, then it's like, why is the blue beetle special? We got uncle Rudy here who apparently can't die. You know, like that's you know, sort of thing. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't, you know, I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities in this film. I feel like they had the right people for it, but just not the best execution. The script needed a rewrite. The film needed to have a little bit more care in its look. I think the cast was fine. Just, you know, it feels, unfortunately, it feels, while it is much better than a lot of the DCEU stuff that's come out, it feels like it's still suffering from that DCEU feel. 
Well, um, I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that this was originally supposed to be on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they up, that makes they sense. They upgraded it to film, right? So there you go. So you saying people see it in theaters? Which ones are screaming? Skip it all together. No, I think this is a uh, this is a rental streaming scenario. Like as much as I did enjoy it and I had a lot of fun with it, I think that's more of in line where it needs to be. Right. Yeah, I'd say if you're interested, check it out. Rental or streaming. But if you're somebody who's like likes to have something different in your superhero movies. This one definitely falls a lot of the tropes falls into a lot of the tropes. So if you're like overdone with superhero films, this is not one that's going to bring it back on side. In my opinion, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you get to hear our interview with Derek Johns right here. Geek card reality radio one Oh one. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today. Welcome back to Geekard right here. On Reality Radio 101. Like a lone wolf stalking its prey. You can and now, back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Welcome back to Geek Card, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. Uh, I'd say probably about a couple of weeks ago, we got the opportunity to talk with actor Derek Johns who stars in two films that uh, just debuted at the Fantasia Film Festival this past month, We Are Zombies and The Sacrifice Game. And, uh, you know, of course, you might recognize him from other stuff as well, and we get into it right here. Let's take a listen to the interview right now. So we're talking with Derek Johns here, one of the stars of two films, We Are Zombies and The Sacrifice Game, both which... Uh, we're selections for this year's Fantasia Film Festival. Derek, it's great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about We Are Zombies. Sure. We Are Zombies is a really cool take on the uh, zombie genre. It takes place in a world where the zombie outbreak has already happened. And it turns out that the zombies aren't flesh-eating monsters. They have no interest in killing people. They're just a little less than human. I'd say. And then there's zombie rights activists in the movie. You know, there's people that hate the zombies. There's people that are standing up for them. And and they've they've coined the term the living impaired as sort of a politically correct term for the zombies. Where my character comes into it is we're a, a trio of slackers, essentially, and we're looking to make a quick buck. And we are basically stealing from the mega corporation that runs the world called Coleman. They've essentially monetized the zombie outbreak and we're trying to make a quick buck by stealing from them. It's more of a Shaun of the Dead movie than, you know, Dawn of the Dead as far as zombies go. It's right. it's a comedy. And yeah, it's based on a, a French comic book. And like, I look at your catalog so far in your career and you've made a very memorable appearance on the boys. You've been on Essex County and yeah. now with the, we are zombies, three very different projects that are all based on comic books, all comic yeah. adaptations. Yeah. Are you happy that so many things are getting out there from the, like you've gotten to experience so many different comic genres as opposed to so many people that just think it's just like superheroes and stuff. Yeah, all the things that I seem to work on are adaptations of either a, a graphic novel or, or a comic book. And you would think that that's like, I'm going to my agent and I'm like, hey, listen, I only do <laughs> adaptations of graphic novels and comic books, okay? Uh, it's just coincidence, which is uh, kind of crazy. And the thing is that these are projects that before they're even made, 
they have a fan base that people know and love the story behind it. It's so cool to have people that are so passionate about something that hasn't been made yet. But you have people who are like, the zombies that ate the world is being made into a movie. That's awesome. Whereas a normal IP, people won't know about it until they see it, really. I feel super fortunate to be able to tell these stories. The Boys was something else. That that was crazy. Oh my God. Love Sausage? <laughs> that is such a character. When I saw him in season two, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a fun little visual gag and everything. But then season yeah. three, his return, throwing hero gas, throwing the superhero orgy. Yeah. He just, Love Sausage seems to be like the man, like he's got it going on. It's It kind of seems that way, yeah. Until the I fire, mean, of course. Well, you know, then, yeah, <laughs> things have changed. You know, he's been disfigured. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's so interesting because prior to booking the role, I never watched The Boys because I was, and to a degree still am, like not interested in the superhero movies that are being made and, you know, setting box office records. I really got annoyed with how they were pumping those out. And it was the only thing anyone was going to see. So, I mean, I'm complaining. I'm just an old man yelling at the... <laughs> what is the expression? The old man yelling at clouds or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Derek, so, this is a safe space for you okay. today. <laughs> thank you. you can, thank you. Just, uh, <laughs> go free, man. Let it loose. Uh, you like I've... love sausage. Let it all out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My agent had said to me numerous times, you got to watch The Boys. It's a great show. And on top of that, it shoots in Toronto. It's something that you could realistically book. And I was like, uh, all right, I'll check it out one of these days. And then I ended up auditioning for Love Sausage, which was the scene at the door at, at Herogasm. That was the scene that I auditioned for. And I thought it was hilarious and it was nonsensical. And once I did the audition, I started watching the show because I got kind of excited. I was like, ooh, if I book this, it'd be cool. And I fell in love with it. It's a piss take on the superhero thing, you know? It was right up my alley. And it's it's pushing the boundaries on TV of what you can and can't show, which, you know, I appreciate it for, right? What I've noticed is that the fans of the, of the comic are, like, eagerly anticipating certain episodes and, and characters to yep. appear because of things that happen in the comics that, you know, like will blow people's minds visually. Yeah. Herogasm uh, being one of them, yeah. which I was super lucky to be a part of because I know that that was in talks from like season one. You'd see fans on Reddit being like, I can't wait for Herogasm. I don't know what the hell they're going to do to get that on TV, but they figured it out. Well, that's yeah. always one of the, the great things about Projects like this that have that built-in fan base, they're excited immediately for it. At the same time, though, it's a good-bad scenario, right? And I'm sure you've seen some of this, Derek. Like, it's, like, really great because you know that you've got a core audience that's going to show up. But on the other hand, they're going to show up online, and then it's the dark side of it. Did you ever think about any of that stuff? Or you just was like, you know what? I got this cool role. I think I'm gonna, it's going to be a lot of fun. It depends. The one that did make me think was Love Sausage more than anything. With We Are Zombies, my character, they've taken liberties and changed the character where on, on in the original, my character, Freddie Merckx, is actually Belgian, I believe. They did away with that. They didn't want him to be Belgian for this for whatever reason. It wasn't even in the character breakdown when I auditioned for it. It never said Belgian. Also, on top of that, the character, Freddy, in the show, he kind of gets a little shitty. He ends up just being a bit of a dick and didn't have the same redeeming qualities that I think I brought to it. And that was also a choice made by the directors as well, writers, same people, really. And they decided that they, they didn't want him to be quite the same way he was in the comics. So with that, there's, of course, the the hardcore fans that might say like no they they miss the mark there's always going to be a small population of people that are diehards that saw it one way and then can't see it any other way the best you can do is hope that the general population enjoys it and you do a good enough job that you can change the minds of those people that oh i didn't see this character that way but i like what they did i like what they did it's different but i like what they did and it just seems like with the boys for instance love sausage is a fan favorite he's an absolute fan favorite but again very different from the source 
source material. They've left out a lot of his like origin story. Everywhere I read, I haven't read any negativity as far as my depiction of Love Sausage. But there are people who are saying, man, I wish there was more to this character, that they would give him a little bit of the backstory there in the comic books. But you know, who knows what they have planned for Love Sausage. I'm sitting and, and waiting. Hopefully they have big plans for Love Sausage. We'll see. But with We Are Zombies, of course, that was directed by the, the RKSS group, the collective yes. there behind Turbo Kid and Summer of 84. Yeah. So obviously thinking about this is going to be like a very much like balls to the wall type crazy adventure because they usually always are with the RKSS group. I know that your character, you've mentioned that it was different, but you know, for Freddie, he's obsessed with wrestling and you're someone who didn't really know much about wrestling. So you came up with the persona of the wild gringo for the character. What was it like developing that with the RKSS group? First of all, I, I just want to say that they are phenomenal filmmakers and I'm so happy to have worked with them. And I hope that I can work with them again in the future. They were such a pleasure to work with. In regards to the wrestling thing, the name wild gringo was all that, that was there. The, in the script, it says the, the, the alter ego is wild gringo. And I decided I wanted to watch old WWE. I watched Macho Man Randy Savage, and I fell in love with that character. I sort of do like a Macho Man Randy Savage a little bit. I mean, there's a few other things that I liked from other wrestlers that I took from, but that character in particular, I thought he was fucking hilarious. In all the promos that he's ever cut, he's like the king. Hey, he's the cream. He's, he's the, the creep. The cream. I the am cream. the cream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was great. And I, I mean, I don't go full Macho Man Randy Savage on an eight ball of cocaine <laughs> cutting every <laughs> fucking promo. But I tried to take elements of these different wrestlers without, you know, obviously completely stealing the characters. And I got a new appreciation for the entertainment side of professional wrestling because Growing up, like my parents, they didn't watch wrestling and I did have friends like my, my friend down the street who would be watching every WrestleMania. And I like would talk to my parents. I'm like, so wh why don't we watch wrestling? Like, and, and my parents are like, because it's stupid and it will rot your brain watching it. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. In my mind, it's the equivalent of like watching reality TV where you're literally becoming dumber watching it. Mm. But <laughs> I have a newfound respect for it and I've, I've been to a wrestling match since having shot the movie because one of the guys on the movie is is a wrestler. And funny, he didn't play the wrestler, but he, he's a wrestler in real life. And he was like, we're doing this wrestling show downtown. Come and see it. And I was like, sure. Why the why the hell not? And I had a great time. So I have a newfound respect for it. But yeah, I didn't know anything about it. I also learned some wrestling moves for the movie. I don't think any of my wrestling that I did will make it into the movie. I'm pretty sure the stuntman did a, a far superior <laughs> job. But I did the whole wrestling scene. Basically, the way that we shot it was they shot him doing the move. And then I would then come in after, after having watched him done it. And then I would do it. And then they would say, okay, Derek, step aside. And then he would come in and do the next move. And and we did it that way so that they would have someone who knows what they're doing and then me and then they could cut it together however they wanted. But I was so frightened taking another human being and dropping him on his head that these are stunt people. They know how to fall and tumble, but they're like, yeah, just throw me. And I'm like, OK, I don't want to get sued, but, <laughs> you know, but so I don't know how much of what I did will make it in to the actual wrestling that I did in the movie. But I had a great time and I learned some wrestling moves that I haven't been brave enough to uh, use since. <laughs> See, I, this is one of the things about acting that I've always appreciated. And you're describing it to, like perfectly here, which is every project that you get, you get to like go and research and learn new things about new aspects of life or people's careers or people or whatever the, the case may be. And you get to like try things out. Like, is that one of the, the things about acting that you really love is this ability to like ha have these opportunities to go and learn th things that you maybe either didn't know, or as you already mentioned, like about wrestling, didn't have an appreciation for previous to. Yeah, it's awesome. The thing is, is that unfortunately, these were the two feature films that I worked on most recently. There was actual meat and substance there for the character. Hey, I can do a bunch of research. I can make a character when in actuality, as a Canadian actor, you might have 
two lines on something where you're walking into a coffee shop and let's say you're the asshole guy that just gives the main character a hard time at the coffee shop and you're a dick. You say two things. There isn't a whole lot of opportunity to do research and build this elaborate character when you do have that opportunity, when you when you are working on something where the character has substance, it, it feels really good. It feels like real acting. It's what we all wanted to do when we decided that we wanted to get into acting when we started in, in theater school and, and we had dreams of making this whole elaborate backstory for a character. And, you know, we joke about that when you're on set and you have one line and you're like, I, I made a whole backstory. You know, my character has a family and, <laughs> yeah. and, and <laughs> you know, you joke about that kind of thing. But getting to actually do it is so awesome. And I'm glad that I've had this opportunity to be a real actor, you know, as as, as pretentious, I guess, as, as that sounds, but I'm very fortunate and, and very happy to, to have that opportunity. And I hope I keep getting those opportunities. Oh, definitely. Yeah. One of those other opportunities was with the Sacrifice game directed by Jen Wexler. So that one is basically like a Christmas horror thriller yeah it's set in christmas it's a christmas movie in the same way that die hard's a christmas movie it just and takes that's place totally a christmas, christmas movie yeah yeah yeah. that is Absolutely. one of the greatest hey. christmas movies of all time i'm not arguing with you <laughs> uh, <laughs> i had a great time working on that as well it's funny i i auditioned for that while shooting we are zombies so it was boom finished we are zombies a week later started up on sacrifice game so i mean it, it does make sense that they both come out at the same festival that one i play a vietnam vet his name's Grant. He doesn't say much throughout the whole movie, which is very different from Weird Zombies, where, you know, I talk too much. Um, but in, in Sacrifice Game, the character doesn't say anything. It takes place in the 70s. That's why at my age, I can play a Vietnam vet. The movie takes place Christmas at a private school. There's two girls that are basically trapped at the school in the sense where you know, they can't go home because their parents are gone away or whatever it might be. I think one of the parents is like, hey, sorry, you can't come home for Christmas. I'm going to Barbados or something. So stay at the school for the holidays and I'll we'll catch up later. That sort of thing. So they're stuck there. And then there's these group of killers. And, and my character is part of this group. And they show up at the school with the hopes of summoning some sort of demon. And uh, yeah, it, it it gets into, you know, sort of uh, demon summoning and, and, and black magic and the occult and stuff. It's 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 a neat movie. Yeah, no, it sounds uh, it sounds like a, a great time. It's uh... Uh, it's, it's it's checking a lot of the boxes for for me like holidays uh, abandonment band of killers yep black magic <laughs> it's like you're sitting there thinking my god they've made a film about my life it's true uh that i i did live that once and uh i survived you so. were once a young co-ed yeah yes it was it was true yeah not anymore hey, now i've congratulations i i'm glad you made it through this is why I look the way I look today. It was because of this experience, you know. Right. Yeah. I was I was wondering. I was like, what happened to him? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, Derek, I want to thank you for coming and talking with us. Of course, I look forward to people getting to check out We Are Zombies and the Sacrifice Game. I'm guessing they're going to probably be hitting a few more festivals on the festival circuit. Yeah, the Sacrifice Game actually will be on Shutter. Last I heard, right around Christmas, so somewhere sometime in December, oh. it should be coming out on Shutter. So oh, you'll fantastic. be able to catch it there. Good Excellent. stuff. All right, so people can check it out there. Once again, Derek, fun talking with you, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. So that was our interview with Derek Johns. Uh, as Derek mentioned, around Christmas time, all you Shutter subscribers, look for the Sacrifice game. It'll be dropping on that platform then. We've come to the end of the show, but before we go, I just want to say next week we got a very special episode because uh, Geek Hard will be back at Fan Expo. Yes, it's been years. We're going back to Fan Expo, and so... Next week's episode is going to be a little bit Fan Expo themed as we talk with former Marvel Editor-in-Chief Joe Casada right here on the show next week. So you don't want to miss that. But now we must bid you adieu of this show. Mr. Green, tell the good folks where they can find us. As always, if you like what we do here, you can find more content over at patreon.com slash geekard. For everybody who participates in that right now, we thank you guys ever so much. You guys are a big, 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 big help. Uh, for those of you who don't, that'd be, you know, that's cool. We get it. It'd be super cool if you joined us, though. Uh, that would make all of our lives a little bit better, you know, including your own. You know, so just join us. 
Of course, you can always find additional co- content over at uh, YouTube as Andrew has been uh, promoting all night. Uh, you know, go check that out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Yes, search Geek Art Show on any of those platforms. You will find us there. Check out our website, geekartshow.com, for more news, reviews, and the podcast version of this very show available on Mondays after 2 p.m. However, if you didn't listen live to us tonight, that's cool. But the best way you can hear us is to do what, Andrew? Subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Absolutely. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, email us, geekartshow at gmail.com. I want to thank Derek Johns and Ed Brisson for coming on the program. For Ed Brisson, for Alpha Flight, for Sins of the Salton Sea, for Blue Beetle, for all of our listeners out there, for Derek Johns, for We Are Zombies, for The Sacrifice Game, for Mr. Green, and for Yuri in the booth. This is Andrew Young saying if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Geek Hard with your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Right here on Reality Radio 101.